Good afternoon and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow my personal Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, subscribe, and follow on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we are going to be dissecting Winnipeg's loss to the Calgary Flames, talk about what players I think stood out for the right reasons and which ones really struggled, and, and you know maybe think about what the long-term future is because I think this coming Monday is going to be a big deal for the Jets, and for obvious reasons, I think that there's a lot that, as Jets fans, we're probably concerned about going forward because the problems that sort of plagued Winnipeg throughout the series, barring the injury stuff, are issues that have haunted this team for a couple of seasons now. But we'll get the nitty-gritty right out of the way. Winnipeg did, in fact, lose 4-0 to the Calgary Flames last night, which resulted in a 3-1 series loss, eliminating the Jets from playoff contention. This is not really a shocking result in the sense that after the first five minutes of Game 1, when Shifley went down, I think most people sort of got this uh, a bit of a feeling of dread. Now, I I will say that the Jets, in some of these games, actually put up a pretty good even-strength effort. You know, you can talk about score effects and whatnot, But I think the reality is the Flames against a better, more competent team with a lot more collective team speed and higher-end scoring skill might actually be in trouble. The score lines look pretty nasty, but I think most of those were just mistakes that the Jets made rather than anything Calgary was creating in and of itself. Yesterday was more of Calgary dominating a pretty gassed-looking lineup. The Jets just really seemed to lack answers for anything the Flames did, especially from lines like the Lucic line that had Sam Bennett and I think Dylan Dubé on it. And while I think all of those players are serviceable or even decent, or or in Dubé's case, actually legitimately great in their own right, I think if you're losing to a line of mostly depth forwards outside of Dubé, you might be in some degree of trouble. And I think that that is what ultimately kind of killed Winnipeg, is they had all of these mistakes. You know, they could play well at even strength, keep it close and keep it even, but then they got into some penalty issues, they had a really anemic power play, it's just all of these special teams issues, mental mistakes behind the net. I, I tend to think that those build up over time, and ultimately, I think that's what kind of killed the Jets. I don't think it was just losing Shifley and Line, although those certainly had an impact. These issues are kind of things that have plagued the Jets overall. You know, you saw Neil Pionk kind of revert a little bit to a uh, potato form. I mean, this is Neil Pionk at one of his worst performances in the Jets' uniform since he first arrived with the team. And it's unfortunate because we all know that Pionk can be a very serviceable top four defenseman, sometimes even good. I think his improvement relative to where he was with the Rangers is certainly staggering to behold, but it's not like he's a high-end blue liner. So to see him really struggle and kind of revert to uh, almost barely playable, even benchable, I I think that that's kind of an issue. And if that's something that continues next season, I I think that you have to explore ways to get him to a new squad. The thing with a guy like Pionk is that he brings a lot of offensive value, and I think he's a legitimately talented player, but I don't think he's the kind of guy the Jets need right now because, as it stands, Winnipeg's blue line is very frail. They can't have guys who cause nasty turnovers, uh, who really struggle with power play management, and, uh, you know, maybe have issues with more complex systems, ones involving, you know, zone transitions, uh, switches where you're kind of moving between different puck carriers and things. And if Pionk isn't capable of handling those routines, I think that that's going to be an issue because the Jets right now are trying to find creative sparks from just about anywhere. And unfortunately, I think Pionk's game is a little bit more direct in some ways. 
And considering he'll be looking for probably a fairly significant raise since I think he was in the top 10 for defensive scoring this year, it's not really a great fit for the Jets. I wouldn't mind keeping him around on another bridge deal, but I, I think a lot of Pionk's value is going to be in testing the trade market and seeing what kinds of assets you can get. I'm just not sure that you want to keep him around because you can't really build around him, and I think he'd be more suited to playing on a contender where he can have a more insulated environment. It's not just a knock on Neil. I think in general this just isn't quite as good of a fit for him long term as another team might be. I think if you send him to a squad like Nashville, I think that he'd be a great player there. I think there are a couple of other teams that could really use somebody with his particular skill set, which is very north-south. Uh, he's effective on the puck, and he can create some nice offensive opportunities once he's inside the opposing zone. Whether or not the Jets agree and, and decide to move on from him is going to be a big question because I think he's going to be one of many players who the Jets have to think of you know, really long and hard about as far as what their future is. I think that this series showed that the current Jets core is pretty far from contending, and when you think about it, they've only spent two seasons away from when they were uh, essentially cup finalists, uh, basically in waiting until they got knocked out by Vegas. And since then, the uh, the team has really declined, and I think that there are a lot of worrying signs, especially going forward. Um, in our next segment, we'll talk a little bit about some of the most worrying signs, especially from guys that are uh, under term and contract, and what you might do about that, because I think the Jets have to make some hard decisions. You know, you've got an all-star Vesna player in net. You know, Connor Hellebuck was outstanding, although this series, I think he came down a little bit to earth, because, again, I think the Jets really struggled, and with how many injuries and sort of mediocre lineups the Jets were putting out, it's not surprising that Hellebuck wasn't quite as sharp as he used to be. But ahead of him, he doesn't really have a whole lot of support, and I think that that is a central issue, especially if guys like Brian Little aren't coming back. It used to be said that Winnipeg was a very deep team and that they had a lot of forward ranks to draw from, they had a very good defense, and uh, now they have neither of those things. So this is going to be one of the most pivotal off-seasons in Winnipeg Jets history, and I know we've said that several years in a row, but I think especially in light of COVID and everything that's happened, now more than ever the Jets are going to be really strapped. It's going to be a very dif difficult situation, and I don't really know how this front office is going to navigate these waters. Relatively speaking, Winnipeg has never faced a situation like this. I mean, no one has encountered COVID before, uh, but I think in the sense that the Jets are also dealing with a lot of RFAs, a really thin blue line, and a, a you know forward unit that has a couple of really high-end top six stars but is also held back by a lot of depth players who maybe aren't quite as good, and a couple of other top six players who have struggled. There's an odd mixture of issues here, and I don't really know how Shovel Dayoff and Mark Chipman plan to fix all of this. Speaking of having to fix things, few tasks are more daunting than trying to do your own car repairs. Figuring out which piece goes where and what parts to even order can always be a challenge, especially when you have to go to a retail auto parts store in the middle of quarantine without knowing what you need. If you're struggling to figure out what you need, head on over to rockauto.com and check out their easy-to-use website that lets you search by make, year, and model for your vehicle, as well as the price range for the parts so that you always pay what you want when you want. RockAuto.com is a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Whether you're looking for an engine control module or a brand new floor mat after your most recent defeat at the hands of that greasy taco, RockAuto.com will always have what you're looking for. You could even save anywhere from 20 to 50% off retail brick-and-mortar store pricing. And no matter your experience level, whether you're a veteran mechanic or a fledgling DIYer, you'll always pay the same price no matter what. If you place an order, be sure to write Locked On in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. 
Earlier in today's show, I mentioned that I would discuss some of the who's hot and who's not. So we'll start off with some of the top performers in this series because there haven't been that many players to spotlight, but I thought I would talk about some of them because a few of them have some longer-term implications. Uh, The first I'll talk about is, of course, Nikolai Ehlers. Ehlers was everywhere. I think that he was easily Winnipeg's best skater. And aside from one game in which he was a little bit rough, uh, although a little bit is probably generous, he did have a direct turnover that led to a goal, which is why... I think Twitter kind of lambasted him a bit. He also scored in that game, and I believe that was the game winner, so eh, you take and give and take with him, but I think for the rest of the series, he was outstanding. He was easily the one creating the most scoring opportunities. He was setting up his linemates with great chances, although you know his linemates aren't always capable of keeping up with him. I thought that his ability to close the distance with the goalkeeper and essentially skate around that area along the perimeter while maintaining possession and opening up more space again, made him the most clear and present danger uh, to Calgary's net front area, and I think that he was able to create quite a few dangerous opportunities. He was a little bit unlucky. I think he hit the post a couple of times throughout the series, but overall, I think if you're looking at any player who stood out for the Jets in particular, it had to be Ehlers. I would also have to give props to Janssen Harkins. I think Harkins was great, relatively speaking. He had a couple of oopsie moments, but generally speaking, Harkins was in really good passing lanes. He was able to get a couple of dangerous shots off. He scored his first career postseason goal. Um, And I just felt like he made a case to not be benched going forward. Now, it is interesting to note that he is playing as a winger. And right now, Winnipeg, of course, is dealing with a serious dearth of actual NHL caliber centers. So I wonder in the offseason if they try to transition him and see if he's capable of playing that middle area because I believe he actually has played as a center before in junior. He just hasn't done it too recently as far as I remember. And it's not easy converting positions, especially going from wing to center, but, you know, Harkins might be able to do it. I wouldn't exactly call that my ideal solution to the problem. I think that longer term, the Jets just need to draft somebody, but we'll talk about that particular situation in a little bit. As far as other standouts are concerned, I think uh, Andrew Kopp had a great series. Kopp got promoted to the top six very briefly, and, and unfortunately that stay was not as long as it should have been. But, you know, Andrew is very good. I think he's capable of playing a, a nice four-checking space creator on the second line. And, you know, until we find a better long-term second-line solution, Kopp should be that 2C. I, I don't think that anyone else can really touch that position, even if Little comes back healthy, which... I don't think Little's coming back, so I'm not going to worry too much about that. Cop has always been very underappreciated, and I think that his underappreciatedness uh, definitely shown through in his really sterling performances throughout a lot of these games. As far as other guys are concerned, um, I think Jack Roslevic had a pretty okay series. He wasn't always amazing, but I think for the most part he was able to create some really nice offensive opportunities, and we saw some creative and crafty plays from him that I think really showcases why he was once so highly touted. On the defensive side of things, I think Dylan DeMello was pretty good. I uh, I like him a lot. I think that his simple game, which is to seal off space, cut down on passing lanes, and try and use his frame to seal off areas, makes him a pretty well-rounded top four defenseman. Hopefully Chevy gets that contract nailed down and sooner rather than later because the Jets definitely could use him for a couple of seasons. As far as the rest of the team is concerned, uh, for, for clearly negative performances, I think we have to look start at the top line, um, and that's kind of unfortunate because I think Blake Wheeler and Kyle Connor both really struggled throughout this series. Connor, as the series wore on, was able to get a couple of more dangerous shots and looks at net, 
but for the most part, he just really wasn't much of a participant. And I kind of talked about it in earlier episodes. Without Mark Shifley, he just really struggled to create his own space, and that's sort of a, a common issue with him. When he's not paired with like an elite high-end franchise center, Connor's weaknesses in being the one to create that space himself starts to show really quickly. And I feel like we saw a lot of that, especially because he wasn't able to get into the central slot area, and he was skating often in, in really perimeter areas and then turning the puck over. Now, we did have a couple of nice opportunities where he was able to cut in and get one of those classic slot area chances, but uh, Cam Talbot ended up robbing him a couple of times. But from memory, I can only recall two to three opportunities where that was the case. For the most part, he was still shooting from longer distances and not really ideal spots. So Connor, just not not good enough for me. Uh, Blake Wheeler also looked really slow. I felt like Wheeler's age is starting to catch up with him very quickly. He was not dynamic at all. I think that he looked more like a third defenseman out there. And it's really a shame because it's obvious that he still has something in the tank. It's just you need to cut back on his minutes and probably drop him down the line of a bit. Not because he's particularly bad. It's just that it's hard for him to keep up, you know, 25 minutes a night. He can still pass well. He can still shoot pretty okay enough, I guess. Uh, his skating looks all right, but it's just there's definitely a, a stride missing from him, and I think that that's going to be an issue going forward. Now, the Jets still have like four years on his deal, so not not an ideal start to his decline, but you know the Jets wanted to reward their captain. They were going to make him their highest-paid player. It is what it is. Uh, Winnipeg is just going to have to ride the next couple of seasons unless something happens and he either retires or moves on. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, I think in this series, he was basically a non-factor. I was a bit disappointed overall. Uh, going forward, I think we also need to see more from Neil Pionk, because Pionk just had a real howler of a series. If he stays around, we, we need to see more, I guess, progression and development, or at least a return to the form of him when he was with us in the regular season. I'm not sure if he's going to be around long term, though. We'll see what the Jets do in this offseason, and I'll kind of preview some of the thoughts about that uh, in just a little bit, because I think that the Jets, they have some serious challenges, uh, to put it lightly, and they also have some opportunities to maybe jettison guys who they don't really need as much or need to find a better fit somewhere else for. It's clear some guys on the Winnipeg Jets roster are probably going to need a, a bit of a change of scenery, and I, th I think for me, a couple of guys stand out in particular. The first is that I think the Jets need to figure out what to do with Kyle Connor. Either they keep him around on their current contract, which Connor's contract is not terrible. It's just a little pricey, I think, for the kind of player that he is. I love when he scores goals, but when he's not, it's a little frustrating. In terms of his total on-ice impact, he's kind of more like a 5 and a half to $6 million winger than a 7 to 7 and a half, and it's not really... It's not great, because I think the, the issue with him is that his off-the-puck stuff is bad enough to really detract from a lot of the great things that he does, including his ability to get into really close spaces in the slot, his absolutely crazy release, his amazing one-on-one -on -one matchup skills. The problem is, is you have to be able to get to those areas to use that part of your skill set, and Connor just struggles away from a really elite center. Now, plenty of wingers have this issue, but Connor is, is really struggling with line support, especially in the defensive zone, in neutral zone transitions, and, and trying to set up his line mates in the offensive zone. He has enough deficiencies in his game as to the point where I, I don't really know what to do about him because I feel like even with Shifley, he's not been particularly good. And Shifley is evidently suffering uh, with having a, a bit of a defensive black hole in his wing. Because like Shifley's not really a high-end defensive center himself, but 
we have seen much better results from him in previous seasons. I'd be shocked if the Jets actually traded Connor because I don't think that they view him as somebody that's particularly expendable to this team. But I also don't really know what is the the best path for getting him into a more NHL-ready state. It's clear that he has all of the goal-scoring ability you could possibly ask for, but it's, it's everything else off the puck and away from the play in the offensive zone that continues to be a serious issue. So at some point, the Jets need to figure out what to do with that because it can't keep going on like this. I also think Winnipeg needs to assess what Neil Pionk's future is. You know, is he somebody that you want to keep on your top four for a while? Or, you know, he made a brief visitation, but it's time to let him go. I think I'm more on the the, uh, latter portion just because I think Pionk's upside is unfortunately a little bit limited. And if if Maurice needs more complex systems, especially as they start to get more puck-carrying defensemen, I'm not sure if Pionk is going to be capable of handling that. We've definitely seen a a really serviceable to good side of him that we had during a lot of the regular season, but that's kind of gone away, and I wonder if it's going to come back. So I I don't know if that's a gamble that I want to take, especially a big money deal of like four and a half to five million. I'm not really in love with that. Defenders who score a lot tend to to earn a lot of cash on these free agent deals, so I'm not really in love with the concept of extending Pionk long term. I'd be more interested in, like, bridging him for a couple more seasons to see what he's capable of, but I know that that might not be in his best interest, and certainly you can't blame a guy for wanting a little bit more security and cash than what the Jets might be able to afford him, you know, right now. So I don't really know what to do with that situation either. He might be a trade chip, especially at the uh, upcoming NHL draft in October. But those are probably the two largest outstanding questions. I also think that come draft time, the Jets need to figure out what their second-line center situation is. I was in a group chat earlier and talking with some friends, and they were talking about Anton Lundell maybe being an option for the Jets, which if Lundell is there at, say, 10th overall uh, or, or a little bit earlier where the Jets might be picking, I would be thrilled with that. Lundell would be sensational. You've also got Perfetti. You've got Marco Rossi. There are so many really high-end offensive forwards and guys who could be really capable top six centers. I don't think you can go wrong. The biggest question is what happens on Monday. You know, Winnipeg's entire franchise future is kind of riding on what happens during this draft. The existing core that the Jets have is is solid, but there's a lot of missing pieces and pieces that they weren't able to replace either through free agency or trades. So Winnipeg needs to get a really good home run pick and something that they can build around. You know, obviously, if they get first overall, in comes Alexis Lafreniere, or if they go really crazy, maybe Quentin Byfield. You know, if they take Byfield, I don't think that that's a mistake at all, in the sense that I think Byfield's ceiling could be higher in some ways. He has one of the rarest traits and physical builds to match it. So, you know, I I would understand if they did that. I think you still take best player available, and I think Lafreniere definitely fits that description. But I also could see organizational value arguments saying that in terms of what Byfield brings and in terms of what a superstar potential means, he might be the better choice, especially long term. Uh, but that said, you know, that, that would rely on the Jets winning the draft lottery. And, I, I you know, there's going to be eight teams competing for that spot. Right now, the, the Preds are kind of fighting off elimination, trying to stay alive against this Arizona Coyotes team. Pittsburgh is also doing the same against Montreal. So, we have a lot of competition. I mean, the Rangers are already there. They're they're at 12.5% odds. Uh, we have a couple more teams that are probably teetering on the brink. Maybe Toronto tomorrow, or I think it's actually later today, the Maple Leafs have a chance to try and at least t- tie the series because they're down 2-1 after they blew a 3 nothing lead in the game yesterday. 
there's a uh, there's a lot of mouths to feed and only one first overall pick. So let's hope that Winnipeg comes away with this and wins it. Uh, Lord knows it would do a lot for my nerves. Appreciate you all uh, sitting here and commiserating with me over Winnipeg's recent defeat to the Flames. Hopefully we have a better and brighter future ahead, but for now, I appreciate and love you all. Thanks so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Have a great night and go Jets go.